And just like that, four years later, more than four years later, World Cup After Dark is back. I'm your host, Austin Miller. Amit Malik is alongside me. Unfortunately, Amit, four and a half years is a very long time. And you know, you are no longer actually right beside me, but right beside me in the sense of like a whole continent away. True. We were, we were in Evanston. We were in the edit bays. We're doing these podcasts face to face. Now it's a little tougher. You know, time has passed. That's part of it. But uh, how good is it to be back? It's incredible. It's so good to be back. It feels like the World Cup, we've been waiting so long for it. There's been a global pandemic in between all of it. There was also like an extra five months because this World Cup's taking place in November. We've been waiting a very long time to have the World Cup back on our radars. And finally, we're in a World Cup month. It's insane. It, the, the added layer as an American is that the U.S. You know, hasn't been in since 2014. So it's even more, it's even more just, this is a very anticipated one. And, you know, the World Cup's one of those things you just, anticipation builds and builds. And when you're actually this close away, it's hard not to just, you know, be gushing with excitement. I'm personally very excited to experience the World Cup in a country that is not only a World Cup favorite, but is that legitimately World Cup crazy here in Argentina. I've been, I've been promised plenty of drama I've been promised wall-to-wall coverage. I've been advised to maybe take a walk outside during an Argentina game just to see what the world looks like when Argentina are playing because nothing's going to be going on. I'm ridiculously excited. And honestly, I think I kind of want Argentina to win the World Cup because imagine what a story that would be, right? I mean, we can, we can get into this already. This is the most anticipated like single country, single player World Cup I, maybe ever. I can't say that. You know, I'm not a historian. But the Messi hype, the Argentina hype, last dance, all of that, and to build this is the best squad they've had around him. I think you're on. Like, I know a lot of people are picking them. They're really popular, and like, you know, the buzz about Messi right now is the dude's larger than life. It's it's all coming together. It's all coming together, and I'm with you. It's it's got to be fun to be there, and you know, obviously the U.S. side of it, based in the U.S. Four years from now, there's going to be a World Cup here in the U.S. Sure. So, you know, everyone's really excited for that. You can't look at that now, but the, the soccer culture is coming in America. We've said that. We say that every year. We say that every four years. So this one's the next one. But, you know, I think it'll be fun to see, you know, what it's like when U.S. plays, from my point of view, U.S.-England on Black Friday, what a game that's going to be. It's going to be nationally televised, a pretty good window not going up against anything. I think it's going to shatter the record for uh, viewing numbers of a, uh, of a U.S. soccer match in, in, a, in the U.S. So, you know, it's a good time all around the world to be a soccer fan. Uh, it's, a, it's a winter World Cup, which we can talk about a little bit. But, you know, I think for, for soccer fans, the hype is there. It's just a good time to be back. So let's get into what this podcast is and maybe more importantly what this podcast isn't. You're probably not going to get smarter by listening to our podcast. I don't know. Maybe you will get smarter, just not about the things that you expected to. Right. Uh, If you want tactics, I mean, we'll probably touch on tactics at some point, but that's not really our game. But if you want tomfoolery, if you want ridiculousness, if you want laughter, this is the place for you. This is the show for you. And uh, everything about the World Cup that is fun 
that's going to be here on World Cup After Dark. Everything that fits the After Dark narrative, the stuff you maybe don't want the kids to see about the World Cup, it's right here on World Cup After Dark. Agreed. Agreed. I, w- I would add, you know, the two of us watch a lot of soccer. We, we love soccer. An unhealthy but, amount of soccer, I Yeah, it's fair to say. Yeah, I think so. And so we, we know we know soccer. We, we could try our hand at some, some serious stuff. But I think we yeah. both agree that what makes soccer fun is the, is the color, is the, the stuff that makes you laugh. And World Cups are the best source of content. They just, they just deliver. They just deliver every time. So that's our goal is to, to help you all, the listener, enjoy it the way we enjoy it. Because we're going to have a great time. And, you know, I think the two of us are just hoping for, for an entertaining World Cup. That's what we want. And if it do- and even if it doesn't, we'll find a way to make it entertaining. Sure, of but course. This is where you want to come to listen to us crack some fun jokes. You know, maybe we're not, we want to inform you. We're, we're not coming in with the, the pre, ah, oh, man, that's not a word I was going to say. <laughs> we're already live, in mid- live recording, baby, live recording. Live recording. We're already in a mid-podcast form. Uh, we don't want to come in with like the, the preconceived notion that we're going to super inform you. We're going to tell you something you don't know. You know, if you like soccer, you're probably going to have a, the same grasp on this stuff that we are. And if you don't, you know, maybe you'll come away a little wiser. But I think what we can do is just give you the, the viewpoint of two people that watch a lot of soccer, care a lot of soccer, and enjoy soccer. And I think that goes a long way. So opening spiel, it's going to be fun. That's what it's about. I think one thing that I love about the World Cup is I work in soccer. It's my full-time job. I consume a lot of soccer, and I enjoy that. I'm happy about that. I'm super fortunate to say that. But it is an opportunity for me to sit down and watch one match. The amount of times that I have seven different things going on, and this is a, a me problem more than anything, but the opportunity to literally sit down and have one game on my TV at once and actually like dig in and enjoy all of it, unmatched unmatched and the content that that kind of spews out of that oh just the best the absolute best i agree the whole world is watching everyone is part of the discourse everyone is seeing the same things we're seeing that's what makes it fun i agree that nowadays we are inundated with soccer you know if you follow soccer you're inundated with soccer conversation soccer content and the world cup just kind of simplifies it all Sure. Everyone's watching the same 32 teams. Everyone sees the goals. It's great. And I think that's what, what makes it special. And also, I think the World Cup is a gateway for a lot of people that like soccer but maybe don't like it to really get into it. If you like soccer, this is your month to just sit back and enjoy it. And that's that's what's beautiful about it. You know, the whole world's in. It, it's awesome. So what are the biggest storylines going into this World Cup? You already touched on one. It's a winter World Cup in the Northern Hemisphere. It's a summer World Cup down here where I'm at. All my friends are talking about how it's going to be hot during the World Cup. It's never hot during the World Cup. It's going to be hot. Uh, And all that comes with that. It's a mid-season World Cup for all of the players playing in Europe. That's an anomaly. It's happening in a country, Qatar, that has never hosted the World Cup, that has never qualified for the World Cup. It'll be interesting to see what kind of performance they get on. What's kind of your biggest going into the World Cup storyline that intrigues you? Uh, not to get too big, but I think I'm excited to see which countries really go for it. 
I think soccer in the past, international soccer in the past 10, 20 years, specifically in the last five years, soccer in general, there's this whole analytics movement. You can go find about that on Twitter. There's a lot of people that talk about it. But I think you look at the 2018 World Cup and France won generally to a lot of us thinking by playing relatively boring soccer. They really took the fun out of the game. They choked the game. They had really good defense. They scored on set pieces. And look, they still had their moments. Their game against Croatia and Argentina, a lot of great goals. Um, and now it's like, you know, we found out that because international soccer is not as much time as club soccer, it's harder to put together, you know, a cohesive team. So everyone's idea is let's make it simpler. Let's play boring soccer. Let's get our set piece goals. Let's score some really opportune times and minimize, you know, the chance in it. Soccer's a game, a lot of a chance. What I'm hoping for is some teams will come out and play really good soccer and then we'll see chaos. Chaos after dark, that's the kind of stuff we like. And I think, you know, it's setting up that way. Injuries are a big part of this World Cup. That's We're just seeing that already. It's going to matter. We, we've never seen an in-season World Cup. I don't know how the players' legs are going to be. I'm just hoping for a lot of fun goals, a lot of fun games. And you look at the, the, the two top teams in this tournament, Brazil and France, that you'd expect to win. They're kind of expected to do it by playing boring-ish soccer. We can talk right. about them, but that's kind of their MO. So I'm hoping that one of those two will have to go get it or that a team that we're not expecting is going to make a run and do it by going after it, playing from soccer. And obviously we talked about Argentina. They have the, the fun aspect, the good aspect of Messi. And Messi, you know, is, st- is, is, is not at the peak of his powers, but offensively he is a one-man offense. We can talk about him more, but that's what makes it exciting. And the narratives plus the aesthetics of it would be awesome if, we, if that's what's going to happen. But long story short, I'm hoping for someone to play good soccer. That's what I want. I think that's a pretty good hope. I think that's a pretty good thing to, to, to look for going into a World Cup. I think for me, the story, I mean, there's tons of storylines, obviously. Um, I think Qatar is a really interesting story. Um, you know, obviously there's the entire conversation about should Qatar be hosting a World Cup? You know, the entire concept of sports washing, which is something we've seen become ever more prevalent in, in soccer. And, and, and look, that this isn't going to be the place where we're going to be able to to break that down with the the gravitas and the necessity that that you need. So, you know, we're not going to touch a whole lot on that. But it is obviously a storyline. But you have a host nation in Qatar that has been building towards this moment for 12 years. Ever since they were awarded this World Cup in 2010, you know, they've been building towards November 20th against Ecuador in their opening match. And so I think it'll be really interesting to see the project that they've put together. Look, They were Asian champions. They've gone around the world. They've played in the Copa America. They've played in the CONCACAF Gold Cup. What do we see from this Qatar team at this World Cup? Can they, you know, kind of jump and and get a boost like we've seen so often from host nations? Um, I I think that's something that that is certainly going to be pretty interesting. And we're probably going to learn the names of some Qatari players over the next couple of weeks, at least at the group stage. You're going to be like, yeah, that's a pretty good team. I think they're a team that's good enough, certainly, to, to kind of surprise some people during this World Cup. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think adding is that oftentimes we see fans flock and get behind a home team run. Even if like they're not, you know, South Africa in 2010, they sure. didn't really have that much success, but everyone was rooting for them. That first goal they scored 
an iconic, you know, commentary on it. Everyone remembers that. And then, you you know, Brazil in 2014, everyone was behind them. The way it went out, we don't have to talk about it. Sure. 2018, Russia, you know, I'm not <laughs> – I think I can say that at least in the Western sphere of things, Western point of view, not everyone is, like, rooting for Russia, but you, you watch the host nation have success and you're, you're excited about it. I think it's very interesting with Qatar in 2022. What's the reaction going to be if they go on a run? Because I think I agree with you. They've really been building for this for a long time intentionally. They have a team and they have the group to to make a run. And I think in general, there's always a host nation boost on the field. So, you know, it, it'll be interesting. I, Russia Russia beat Spain in 2018 uh, in yeah, penalty. They case. knocked Spain out. They knocked Spain out. And Spain, you know, was already had a disappointing 2014 exit, but like, that's a big win. That's a big win. Don't be surprised if, if Qatar makes some headlines in this World Cup. What Honestly. group are you most looking forward to seeing in this World Cup? There's eight groups. We don't have to go through and, and name them all, but what's <laughs> one group that you're looking at and you're like, yes, I'm in? Well, uh, two. First one, obviously, United States. It's a fun group, I think, for everyone, even if you're not a United States fan, because it's you know, it's relatively open. Open. I think the two expected teams, England and the United States, are going through their fair share of problems right now, uh, have been a little bit underwhelming recently. Um, but the expectations are sky high. And then the two other teams, Iran and Wales, they're actually very solid teams at this World Cup. They're around the top 20. They're very well organized. Uh, they're going to be tough teams to beat. And I bet you both of them think they can get in over either of England or USA. So that group for sure. And then I think a really fun group, again, some CONCACAF bias for me, is Belgium, Canada, Morocco, and Croatia, Group F. Similar one where I think every team in that group thinks they can make it through. And that's what makes a good group. We don't have an obvious group of death this year, which is a little bit of a bummer because it's always great content when one of your powerhouses doesn't make it. You saw it in the Champions League um, we, um, with Barca, Inter, and Bayern Munich. Really good content from Barca not making it. It's all, that's always fun. We don't have that this year, so I'm going for the groups where every team has a chance. I think Group F is fun. I think all those teams can play really good soccer as well. Um, two good teams are going to miss it, so the, every group uh, stage game there is going to be really good. I think I'm with you. I think Group F is the group that promises the most from like a chaos potential, right? Like Belgium are in their fourth different World Cup of showing up at the World Cup. Like, oh, here we go. This is the Belgium breakout World Cup, right? Uh, Croatia were World Cup finalists four years ago. We don't really know what to expect from them. Canada are like this dark horse up-and-coming team with a lot of talent that has never been proven on this stage. And Morocco are like this funky North African team that has some interesting, talented players and can play. And it's a group that it kind of feels like every single match day in this group, you could get a different set of results. Like you could leave the first match day like, oh man, Morocco are going to be really good in this group. And then they could not do anything else in their other two games. So I think that's the group that from like a top to bottom, every single game perspective is probably the group that I'm most intrigued by. Which group are you least intrigued by? I think there are a couple possible answers here, but I think there is one correct answer. I wonder if I've got your correct answer. I think the least interesting is group B. You yes, have my yeah. answer. I think so. I think it's because there's two clearly better teams, and that's in France. Well, the group is France, Australia, Denmark, Tunisia. I think France and Denmark are clearly better. I think most people would agree with that. 
That's not to say that Australia and Tunisia could not make shockwaves because it's the World Cup and anything can happen. But France is overwhelmingly one of the top two favorites. They just don't mess around. They're not going to play like no, like mess around soccer. And Denmark, we've the seen dark them horses. have... The Memorial Dark Horse. Every World Cup has this dark horse. And it feels like yeah. the energy is coalescing around Denmark to be the dark horses, right? Yeah, I think you can make a case a lot of re- for a lot of reasons that Denmark can make a run potentially to a semifinal. That's that's what we mean by dark horse. I think people yep. would say that, and that's kind of warranted. And then I just think Australia and Tunisia, you know, we can get into them more in some later podcasts, but they're just not enough firepower to be dangerous. Now, look, weird things happen. Weird thing. We're not going to say like, oh, this group is done and dusted. You got to play the games. But if you're just looking at it at these groups, and you're like, which of these groups is going to provide us the most entertainment? This one's this one's low on the list. So for, I'm 100% in agreement with you. It's Group D. It's for every single reason that you just laid out, and the fact that it's almost a literal retread of a group that we saw four years ago. Like I don't need to see France play Denmark again. I sat through that nil nil match. The only nil nil match in that World Cup. I don't need to see Australia go up against France and Denmark again. Tunisia takes the place of Peru, probably makes the group even more boring without Peru. It could have been Peru had they beaten Australia. Great after dark moment, even before we even get to the World Cup, the Australian goalkeeper in that penalty shootout. But it's just, it, it's everything that you've said. It's two clear favorites. And just the fact that it feels like I saw this group four years ago. And it's like, I don't need to see this group again. I'm not that interested in them. I agree. And then just adding on is that I think both of us uh, enjoy when teams outside of Europe are good and fun. I think that's just, that's the bias of the two of us on this podcast. And it's a very France and Denmark, you know, we, you know, a lot of the players, you've seen them play a lot of the games, you know how they're going to play. I think that's why we like Canada, Morocco in, in group F, you know, we're excited to see them on a big stage. And that's not to say that Australia and Tunisia can't impress, but France and Denmark are, are good and a little boring. So yep. that's kind of a bad combo. The worst combo, actually, is good and boring. Uh, what's the World Cup discourse like that you want to be excluded from? Like, What's the one storyline that you're just like, I know, not with this anymore? Uh, this is a tough one, I think. You know, some some big teams are gonna are gonna get thrust out of this tournament somehow. It's gonna happen, and I just don't need to hear a lot of excuse making. I don't need to hear a lot of like, this team is so bad. What happened? Italy missed the World Cup. That's a that's a big country that already missed it. Soccer is chaos. Big teams are gonna leave, and I don't want to hear a lot of whining about it. I want everyone to be happy for the teams that advance. That's not how it works. I think. There are some fan bases out there that are really toxic. Every fan base has its toxic parts. But there's a few countries that if they don't do well, I just don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. And I'm specifically pointing a finger at myself and the USA fan base. If they don't do well, I don't want to hear it. England, they don't want to hear it. Germany, Spain, and specifically Germany and Spain, they have underperformed in recent World Cups, and there's always expectations on them. And if they don't, I don't want to hear it. Simply just win the games. It's really hard to win the World Cup. But if you don't do it, that's it. It's kind of a cop-out, but, like, I just, like, the 
lose, losing in World Cups happens. Crazy. It happens every year. And there doesn't need to be like a lot. And there's going to be bad jokes. There's going to be memes about it. You know, when you get, when you get thrust out and you lose, it's embarrassing. People deserve to make fun of you. But like, I don't want to hear the excuses. It's, it's soccer. That's going to happen. Sure. Uh, VAR for me. Yeah. Done that was it. done with it four years ago. Even more done with it now. It's just, it's going to be so annoying. Well, just, here's the question for you. A follow-up on that. Sure. Would you rather have a VAR discussion or would you rather have the Mexico-Netherlands no-era penal discussion? Like, what? what's worse? They're both bad. Yeah, <laughs> I don't miss know. miss the call or you get the call right and it's so fine of a line that it, no one's happy about it. I mean, I just personally, like, as just a general rule of thumb, like, I'd rather just allow people to be human and make mistakes. I just, I don't know. I just can't, can't get behind the whole VAR thing. I, I never could. I watched VAR the very first time it was used in professional soccer match. I watched it chop off a goal for Atletico Nacional in the FIFA club world cup in 2015. And it just soured me from that moment onwards. So we're now seven years after that, I guess it's just, oh, it's just the most annoying discourse officiating, refereeing VAR, Offside, onside, yeah. Discord. I'm with you. It's really tired. It's really bad. Um, I'm I'm hoping that we don't get it. <laughs> Somehow we avoid yeah, it. Right. But that's not going to work. That's it's going to show up in a big match. It's going to show up in a in a decide. Probably a knockout match will be decided on VAR. It's going to be terrible. I would stay off. I would stay off uh, your social media that day when it happens. All right. Good note. Good note. Uh, last one for today, uh, short episode kind of to, to get us back in the swing of things. We've got some great programming coming up. Uh, we'll kind of do a, 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 a kind of trip around previews. We've got a preview show on just the U.S. back in the World Cup. We've got that coming for you. We'll, we'll preview kind of our areas of expertise in, in CONMEBOL and CONCACAF. We'll look at all the other nations. We'll do a, a general preview as we get closer. Um what is the World Cup hill that you are willing to die on going into this World Cup? Like, what's the opinion that, I don't know if it's unpopular, if it's not correct. Like, doesn't matter. You're, you're sticking with it. You're going with yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I'll give my opinion first, and then I'll give the context. My opinion sure. is that Harry Kane is good at soccer. Oh, He is a good striker. <laughs> We're doing this again. Four years <laughs> later. Four years later, we've got to do it. Um, the context is I am a, a Tottenham Hotspur fan. I've been a fan since around 2010. So I've, you know, I've been through the whole Harry Kane career. I've watched a lot of his goals. Let me tell you, they're not pretty. I think we were just talking with some friends uh, who watched a lot of soccer and a lot of English soccer. And the, the bit came up like we were ranking players. Is Harry Kane a top 10 player at this World Cup? And you can make a case for no, but my case is yes. I know England has been lucky uh, in 2018 to make the run to the semifinal, in Euro to make the 2020 final, but Harry Kane is very good at the most important thing in soccer, which is putting the ball in the back of the net. And you can't disagree with that. And I know it's not you, but there are people out there that want to rag on Harry Kane because he's unesthetic. He scores objectively like sloppy, chaotic, bad. not. They're bad. They're bad, they're bad goals. goals. They're bad goals. And I'm all for good goals. I think we all see a goal and we can tell you whether it's good or bad. Not every goal is created equally, but every goal counts equally. Mm. And what this guy does better than anyone else is he gets into the part of the box 
where other people aren't around him and the ball gets to him and then he uses a part of his body and puts it in. And that's all that matters. And he allows England to play bad soccer, which as a fan of the game is bad, but for England is good because he is a set piece monster. He's a penalty kick monster and he's good for like two why did you take that shot from 30 yards away? And it leads to something. He just puts pressure on an opposing defense. I'm not saying it's pretty. I'm not saying it's good. But Harry Kane is a good striker. And if England make another run, it will be because he scored goals. That's what he does. He scores when he wants. I'm not sure that's such a bad take or a hot take, but definitely dying on that hill. Harry Kane is good for England and good one of the best players of this World Cup. That's for four years now you've been dying on that hill because we had the Harry Kane discussion on we every did, single did. episode of the Russia World yeah, Cup. We, yeah, I mean, he. <laughs> I think we, we've talked about the most Harry Kane goal is he gets the ball, he just runs in a straight line, and he scores. He and, runs straight uh, and he shoots. That's yeah, what he does. It's what he does. But the second most Harry Kane goal is a corner comes in and it bounces towards him, and he's, like, on a knee and, like, somehow open, like, three yards from goal and he like somehow directs it in and everyone's like how did he do that how did he get there and it's like i think he just stands in spots where the ball comes enough times and it sometimes goes in that's the skill i think i'm going with that a south american team is going to win this world cup and this is a very scary thing for me to do to go out there like this because i would say this been a while world cup it's been a while um but I legitimately think that both Argentina and Brazil have really good claims to be favorites. And I think that there's just this kind of sense around both of those teams that they are well set up for success at this World Cup. Um, I think there are weaknesses in kind of the bigger European sides who you would consider the favorites. Uh, this is something we'll, we'll get onto in, in future shows for sure. But the fact that European teams haven't played high-level opposition from outside Europe in such a long time, I think is something that works in the favor of Argentina and Brazil. And they are both two really balanced, well-put-together teams that have been playing together in their current systems for quite some time now. And I think that's a big benefit given everything that we talked about, you know, kind of with how the world, how international soccer is played now and it's played towards this kind of regression to this ugly, simple game. I think a system that the players know really well and can play well, I think that super works in the favor of both of those teams. And I'm willing to call them both the favorites going into to Qatar here. It's hard to disagree, I'll be honest. And I think just on just on balance of it, there are three teams that everyone is kind of saying are the three best teams, favorites. Brazil, Argentina, and France, and you've got you've got two of them from South America. So sure. just just on numbers, and the other one it's, it's is safe. very prone to having yeah. World Cup meltdowns. It's time. Well, let's, well, let's talk about. Well, wait, maybe later, but I'll just talk about France. Right, France yeah. won the twenty eighteen World Cup. Great, they they deserved it. They were the best team in that tournament. France crashed out of Euro twenty twenty. They were up three one on Switzerland. Paul Pogba scored one of the best goals I've seen dabbed like three times on Switzerland and then they lost in penalty kicks. Just, I just hate to see it for France. And okay, the, the point is that France is a team that you, they should win every match, but they don't because knockout soccer is crazy and they just like, they can get pulled into chaos. 
the thing that you're you're talking about with Brazil and Argentina that I think is really spot on is the system part of it, the continuity part of it, and that also they have guys that have done it at this level and are suited for this modern soccer. And we talk about it's kind of regressed to this boring thing. Everyone's going to sit in a deep block. They're going to press a little bit, but not too much. They're going to be devastating on set pieces. But when you get two teams that do that, you need someone that can just moment of brilliance is going to do something. You need someone that can score a crap goal like a Harry Kane. Both of those teams have those guys. But then specifically, their talisman, Neymar and Messi, you know, everyone talks about them. Everyone knows them, but for a reason. They are, they are worth it and more at how good they are. And then I think they're just two experienced teams at navigating knockout soccer. And I think what makes the World Cup different from anything else is that it rewards teams that can win a one-off format. That's what France did in 2018. And I think the managers for both of these Brazil and Argentine teams have been building these teams to do this for four, eight, ten years. They're, they're ready for this moment. And I think their psyche is part of it too. There's a lot of – this is and kind of over. That's kind of the point I was going to make. They want to be winners. there. Like this is this is a squads. it's a very simple point to make and it sounds stupid to say they are two teams that want to be at the World Cup yeah and you I think there's a, bad, a go, go ahead there's a lot of this kind of energy of like ah it's this mid season World Cup it's this interrupt I think there's almost this sense of like do some of these teams even want to be at the World Cup right and like obviously that's super simplistic and of yeah, course everybody want wants to win the World Cup. But Brazil and Argentina really want to win the World Cup. And I think that counts for something. I agree. I mean, you know, you don't want to get into like, oh, the passion of the South American teams is more. I think that's a bit reductive. That's reductive. But I do think the national pride baked into the decades of history for these teams, and it is for European teams, it is for a lot of teams, but it does mean more. And I think the pressure means more. And then what you said about wanting to be there is a big thing. And they haven't won in a while. And they have very good opportunities. And I think when you're part of a squad that can smell an opportunity, that matters. You can feel it. And I think when we talk about Argentina in a later podcast, um, when we review the South American teams, it's going to come up. But the playing for Messi thing is part of it. But also they know they're good enough to win. And you look at... Both Brazil and Argentina in that last Copa America, how much it mattered to both of them, but then how much it mattered specifically to Messi to get that international trophy. The the mythos around it, like soccer, you know, you can't like quantify these kinds of things, but it matters that they care. It definitely does. And like, they're just, they're kind of crazy. They're kind of crazy how much they're willing to risk to do it. And I know this is like, this can get reductive too, but like the South American teams are very good at like some of the dark arts of soccer. And I'm not saying that European teams aren't CONCACAF teams do this too. Everyone does it, but they're just, there's no hesitation about like, we will do whatever it takes to win this match. Now everyone can say that, but they have the players who are good enough to do it. They have the players who are good enough. If they score a goal in the third minute, good luck. Good, good luck. Like it's, it's it's just a little different, and I think we'll see, like you know we can sit here and maybe we're talking like with smoke and mirrors about like we think these teams are good, but I think we will see it at this World Cup. It will matter, 
uh, in a winter one, the teams that want to be there, the little bit of extra, little bit of extra juice is going to show up. I agree. I agree. Man, can it start tomorrow? I'd be yeah, down right. for Qatar, Ecuador tomorrow. <laughs> just do it. Let's just do it. Let's just bring the teams in. Let's just play. Just put the ball out there. Let's play. Uh, all right. That's it for this episode of World Cup After Dark. We'll be back for much, much more. As we said, we've got a full preview of the U.S. men's national team. We'll preview CONCACAF and CONMEBOL. We'll look at all the other teams that are going to be in Qatar. We'll give you a general preview. And then obviously once we get into the tournament, we'll be going daily, near daily, one to two day. I don't know. We'll see. We'll figure it out. We'll see what we can handle. Plenty of content. Plenty of content coming your way. Uh, So that's all for us for this time. We'll be back soon. We are back and we are loving it. Talk soon.